Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. As I said, um, I'd like to give a talk on this, uh, based on this discourse, this sutta, S-U-T-T-A, sutta, which is a word in Pali that means discourse, sutra in Sanskrit, from the middle-length collection of discourses, known as the Majima Nikaya, middle-length discourses. This is number 45. There's 152 in this collection of middle-length discourses. This is called the shorter discourse on ways of undertaking things. This is the Buddha speaking. There are four ways of undertaking things. What are the four? There is a way of undertaking things that is pleasant now and ripens in the future as pain There is a way of undertaking things that is painful now and ripens in the future as pain. (laughs) There is a way of undertaking things that is painful now and ripens in the future as pleasure. And there is a way of undertaking things that is pleasant now and ripens in the future as pleasure. What does your mind do with that? I know the first two well. I know the first two well, he says. Yeah, many of us do, don't we? That pretty much covers the territory, doesn't it? (laughs) And one can uh, refer to this as far as spiritual practice, which is basically what the Buddha was pointing to, but also it includes, and I won't go into all the descriptions in the the discourse, uh, how one leads one's life. So I'd like to just explore together with us these four trajectories. And of course, it's not as neat as all, as a textbook would have us believe. But there's a, a, a general trajectory that many of us find ourselves in one or another of these. <clears throat> and... Uh, explore how that comes about, what are the factors that lead one course or another, uh, and what are the possibilities if you happen to be not in that delicious last one. Um, How many people said, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Pleasant, going to more pleasant. I'll take that. Yeah. Watch out for wanting it too much. Because then it just becomes painful if you don't get it on your timetable or agenda. Uh, but it's possible. Okay, so let's just go over these four. First, pleasant now. One leads one's life or one's spiritual practice is pleasant now and it leads to pain. Let me ask you, I don't want to be just the sole disseminator of information here. Just think in your life, whether it's people that you know or people that you 
don't know so so well, but you know about, or maybe in your own life where it's it seems like that's been a part of your trajectory, and maybe hopefully if there is pain that you're not going to be continuing to head to more and more and more and more pain. But uh, how does that happen? Or let's let's have some examples of how first in one's life, and then we'll look at the practice aspect in each of these. How is it that somebody who is having pleasure now ends up going in the direction of more and more pain? Can you give some examples of of that? We can just have some, yes. Eating, okay, say... Same here. Why don't you just uh, pass this? Thanks. Here, pass it. Uh, Do I need to say it again? Well, <laughs> eating. Just elaborate. You might elaborate. Uh, eating is very pleasurable. Uh, cakes and candies, or whatever, and it leads to uh, being overweight, which is not pleasurable. Okay. So too much of a good thing leads to uh, an unpleasant result. Okay, and eating is a is a clear, specific, particular uh, habit. Okay, it can also lead to uh, not being as healthy, not having stamina, and being physically, uh, going through s- uh, significant physical challenges just by that habit of wanting more pleasure. Um, okay, good. Any other examples? Yeah, back there, Ghidra. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. We'll get to you after Jim. Um, I have a young niece Mm -hmm. who is unmarried and unemployed with no particular career direction and pregnant. And my guess is that there was some pleasure (laughs) a few months ago in her life. And I think that there's going to be some tough times that she's that it's dawning on her I think Uh gradually over the last several months okay thank you back there Gidra so that's that's one where particular actions based in pleasure have consequences that are challenging and who knows she might be a fantastic mom and and might be one of the best things in her life but there are challenges with uh, with that situation. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, Kidra. Well, I can work too hard, and then I get just wiped out, depleted. And uh, it may, may be for a good reason. You know, I may enjoy completing uh, whatever it is or helping out wherever it is, but I can just overdo that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you lose your balance in your life, even if you're doing really good things, inspiring things, again, too much on your plate gives you indigestion. Only it can be mental indigestion and, and uh, busyness overload. Right. Thank you. Any, any other examples one can think of? Yeah, just uh, here, up here, raise your hand. Uh, is it Sarah? What what comes to my mind is loving somebody so much and then moving to the other side of the world or whatever, having to miss them, and then you go from really intense love to deep pain of not having them near you. Okay, so the loss that comes when you feel so intensely uh, for someone and you lose them, or the shift that comes when you are so close with somebody and the love is just so brilliant and then it can somehow shift. That happens every now and then, doesn't it? When you think that half the marriages end in divorce or separation. 
I'll love you to the end of my life. And then there's, you know, if it's an amicable divorce, amicable divorce, that's one thing. But often there can be real bitterness. Isn't that interesting how what was so beautiful can turn? Okay, anything that's not been said. Okay, Lloyd, if you pass, pass it. Thanks, Sarah. The last one touched on it, a long-term marriage, really long-term, that then disintegrates. Uh-huh. So again, just that loss that comes when something, when something changes, which is the underlying nature of reality that things change, there's pain that comes from, from that pleasant source. As the Buddha says... Um, to reflect every day that everything near and dear to me I will be separated from. Okay, maybe one last one. Claudia, if uh, here, why don't you pass the... Raise your hand, Claudia. This is, um, this is an example that kind of goes both ways of um, not really pleasure, but doing something because it feels better than the alternative. And it's also the opposite of having something that's very painful, turning into something painful. Um, as a parent, it's, uh, it's very hard to set limits for your children. And um, a lot of parents, uh, because it it's more comfortable for them rescue their children, which really disempowers them and gives a message that um, you're not able, uh, you need me, you can't do it yourself. So you take the route that feels better for you because to let your child uh, do it on their own, you know, possibly you know, have to leave the home, possibly become homeless, possibly, you know, have terrible outcome on the road to gaining their own power. Mm-hmm. Um, parents do this because it's more comfortable for them than saying, you know, you need to go out and, and find your strength. Mm-hmm. Right. So wanting to keep the people you love from suffering you can maybe do them a disservice. Um, and as you might have to see them go through their suffering, which is painful as well. Okay, so let's just uh, pause here. As we all know, all of these experiences, there can be some pleasure in the beginning, and then it turns. One of the main ways that uh, the Buddha talks about in the discourse is um, not staying connected to your values and doing unskillful kinds of behavior with the the precepts that are part of the um, part of the guidelines for waking up not killing, not stealing uh, not causing harm through sexuality, not causing harm through speech, and uh, not um, taking intoxicants uh, that become abused and uh, lead to heedlessness. Um, each one of those precepts are guidelines to help us stay aligned with integrity. And because every one of those actions one can easily get caught in without thinking and thinking, oh, this is going to feel good or I'm going to be justified in doing this. And we get to that choice point where we think, you know, yeah, it's okay. As we go a bit unconscious and then all the mind moments on the other end where we're needing to process unskillful actions or words uh, or leading to behavior that is compounding our unskillfulness. So when we don't have control over our actions or our words, 
even though we realize or we might somewhere sense that it's not going to be good, the pleasant in the beginning um, confuses us, obscures the responses. It's that uh, living for today, okay. Now I'm all, I'm all for living in the moment and being present for your life, but if you, have, if you don't have a connection to consequences of actions, uh, it can get a little bit dicey, can't it? Then in practice, okay, the pleasant now ripening as pain. Any thoughts on how that can work? In our meditation practice, in our spiritual practice, or Dharma practice. Yes, let's see, where's the, where's the mic? Here it is. The expectations of peak experiences, you know, peak meditation experiences or a great retreat or a great sitting or something like that. Yeah. You know, just expectation. Beautiful. Expectations, a setup for the unpleasant. That's the problem with having a great experience. The great experience is wonderful just on itself. Great. And you don't want to be pushing it away saying, oh, no, 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 I don't want to get attached, so I better not be here for this bliss state. Yeah. No, you want to be there for the bliss state. It's just what's happening. But if you forget that everything is impermanent and that those states have their own life that basically you, you don't make happen, if you could make them happen, then you'd probably just sit down and say, okay, I want some bliss. Now, sometimes you can train, the mind and the heart can be trained so that you can incline that way. But as soon as you grasp at a state, no matter how familiar you are with a state, as soon as you grasp, there's a contraction and it becomes painful. Because that grasping itself counteracts the simple opening to things as they're unfolding. And any contraction in the mind and the heart is an unwholesome state of grasping. I, I remember on one time I, I was doing a retreat, one of these fall retreats that I, I mentioned I'm going to be leaving tomorrow uh, to teach. And at some point I was really... Uh, getting somewhat concentrated and having some very delicious states. But I didn't realize what was going on. And as soon as I'd have like this amazing Alice in Wonderland kind of experience, then I'd say, wow, I really, I think I'm doing it. I think it's happening. And then I go down to sit, you know, after a, a few periods like that and say, Bring it on. And everything but a pleasant state came. Frustration, uh, discouragement, confusion, exhaustion, crashing. And then at some point I'd kind of give up and say, what's the point? Okay, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll let go of that one. And then boom, there it was again. And I get really excited again. I went through this, I called it my yo-yo month, right? Where every time, at some point I went to my teacher, or, uh, or I think I wrote him a note at first saying, I think I need to see you because I'm starting to get concentrated again. Uh, again. And he's kind of like, you know, what's the problem there? But it, I, it was because there was this, fear that I wasn't tracking that, uh-oh, I'm, I'm on for this roller coaster ride and I have no idea what I'm doing, how to, how, to, how to navigate it. It was because every time there was a pleasant experience, I wanted more and then it just worked against me. So in practice, watch for grasping at states and also 
the pleasant, another way that the pleasant ripens in, as pain, where you're just kind of saying, oh, well, who wants to work so hard? I just, you know, I'll just kind of be laid back meditator. And if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. And what happens is, after, especially if you're doing, say, a retreat, in short order, your um, laziness, your lazy attitude, um, leads to kind of a fuzziness. And then it's hard for the mindfulness to develop. And when the mindfulness isn't there, then things become boring. And then when you're bored, you don't want to pay more attention, even though you think, oh, it'll be so much more pleasant to just take it easy. And it becomes more and more frustrating and confusing. And confusing. So for that, those moments of, oh, I, just, I want to just kick back, there's a consequence to that. Whereas in the practice, in the beginning, if you can muster up the energy, this is an, another way that it works, and even pretend that it's interesting, the more as things become, as you put the energy and the effort into mindfulness, the mindfulness gets stronger. When it gets stronger, you see more. When you see more, everything becomes more interesting. And then you want to pay attention. And when you want to pay attention, the mindfulness gets stronger because you are paying attention. So it's this kind of like spiral can be in either direction. At any point you can choose, but you have to kind of convince yourself this will be worth it to put in that energy instead of the taking the easy way out. So how pleasant, what seems like a pleasant choice lead, ripens as pain in the meditation. Okay, let's go on to the second one. What is painful now ripening as more pain? Not the quadrant you want to spend a lot of time in, right? But we probably all know people in this hell realm, really, where their, their lives are painful and they're just going in the direction of more pain. How does that happen? Maybe give some, uh, any thoughts about that? Yes, and why don't you uh, hold your hand. Why don't you say your, say your name to, uh, let's get to know people. Yeah. My name is Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. I, I know how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. For me, it happened from being hurt really badly and then eliminating all the things that would hurt. And eventually, you can get pretty good at it. Eliminating all the things? All the things that would hurt you. That would hurt you. So you isolate, you become very reclusive. Uh-huh. And then one day you wake up and realize you're not really participating anymore in your life. Mm. You've just eliminated all the possibilities of, of hurt. Mm. And it can feel like you're being really smart or that that's a good thing. And perhaps it is in that you needed to heal your heart. So I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but nonetheless, you can get pretty good at it. Uh (laughs) And I think it's not such a good thing. Thank you. So we go through some kind of trauma or major hurt, and whatever our karma or our habitual patterns, we don't realize people don't want to go into more pain and we think that we're protecting ourselves and in that protection we cut ourselves off from our aliveness, our love, our connection with life. In that protecting, we're not connected, we're just isolated and that becomes more and more painful. Life is messy. Yeah, life is messy and some people say, I don't want to participate. It's too messy for me. I don't think I'm going to be able to handle this. And there's a part of you that's protecting yourself that's 
got a good motive, motivation, but just misguided in that. Okay, thank you. Any other examples of how pain leads to more pain? Yeah, Keith. Oh. Isabella. Isabella. Um, I was thinking of um, running a situation over and over and over again in my mind. So it was painful to begin with. <laughs> and then it becomes even more painful because mm-hmm. I, you know, doctor it up and make it even more painful and victim feeling victim and then it becomes it becomes even more painful because then if I run into the person that it's about <laughs> then I'm all then projecting onto them or I already have some criticism or judgments. Mm-hmm. All that lovely stuff and um it goes nowhere and it's just like and then more of it seems like the same isolation. I mean yeah. the same same difference. I'm just I'm not one with this. Per- I don't have a connection to this person anymore because mm-hmm. there's too much between us. Great, thank you. So we get caught up in wanting, in obsession, in you know just a very deep hope and expectation. Uh, that grasping mind is the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is wanting, is attachment, and the more we want, the more frustrated. We get, and that just leads to more and more pain. Particularly, as we probably know, when somebody wants something, if somebody is you're in a relationship with, or say you have some kind of interaction with, how is it when they want something from you, and they want more and more for you to act a certain way? What's your Response, you pull back. What would that stimulate in them? Feeling they want you more. Oh, what am I doing here? Please. And it's just setting up this energy that's working against the wanter. Okay, thank you. Anything, any other examples you can think of pain leading to more pain? Yes, all the way in the back. Thanks, Isabella. Here it's, well, it's being taped, so you might as well get it. Broadcast it. Uh, Judith. Thank you. Judith, hi, thanks. Real close to your mouth. Yeah, um, I was thinking of um, at a time when I've done something, at a time when I've done something unskillful, Mm -hmm. and then I develop a whole story in my mind that (laughs) I'm just not a very skillful person, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It kind of, I wind myself down uh, sort of further into the pit of unskillfulness. Okay, excellent. The old cycle of guilt and self-judgment. I am very familiar with this. I come from a lineage of guilt, you know. And it took me a while to, to get that... It's a, it is a cycle that just begets itself because you feel really lousy about yourself and the, the perfect way to either, we confirm our assessment either by keeping on playing how rotten we are or going ahead and doing something else that confirms our hypothesis. Yep, really am a rotten person. I just did it again. So there's no way out of that. The Buddha talks about wise remorse, where instead, when you've done something unskillful, you take a look and see, oh, this doesn't feel good, and use it as a springboard to commit to doing it a different way. Then that can lead to a different direction. Okay, so self-judgment and guilt. Any other pattern that you can see, pain leading to more pain? Over here, yes, uh, Claudia. Um, I'm Claudia. Um, when I was 8 or 12 years old, I decided, like, I didn't want to have children. And um, I have, um, I come from a teeny little family. I'm the youngest, and so everyone's going to die before me. So basically, through my teens, 20s, and 30s, I worried about what's going to happen to me when I'm older. You know, um, who's going to look after me? And... Um, 
you know, this society isn't set up for, um, you know, taking care of spinsters. I'm going to um, live in a, a cardboard box when I'm, you know, a lot older. And so it's like, that's a lot of pain or worry over something that hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So just creating yeah. a story that then you live imprisoned by. And that, again, can either be a self-fulfilling prophecy, or if it doesn't happen, you're living in your own prison. Even if it doesn't happen, that's the reality that we're fearing. So if you're basically living in fear, you are only, you will probably, unless you wake up from it, only continue to create that prison for yourself. So these are other ways that it happens that we live... This is the aversive personality. Actually, the, the, the first one, pleasant, leading to, to more pain, is the kind of more greed personality where you say, I want this, I want that, I want that, and then it kind of backfires against you. The pain leading to more pain is, is often... It could be associated with the aversive personality where you're either living in fear, what can go wrong or worry, or anger, or self-judgment, or doubt. And that negative outlook on things just leads to more pain. And also, it's that putting out negative energy, whether it's conscious or not, will stimulate it's unlikely that it will stimulate a whole lot of positive energy coming to you. So it, again, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. And then if you look for what's wrong, you will find it everywhere. Because that's the lens that you'll look through. Actually, the way it works in the brain is that it pri- you by your outlook, by the stories that you tell yourself the brain starts to scan for ways that that story is corroborated. You might be every now and then surprised and think, oh, that's a fluke. Oh, things actually worked out because there's no, it's incontrovertible. But the more you look for what's wrong, the more you will just notice what's wrong. The more you look for what's right, you will have much greater likelihood of noticing it. So it's not that it's not only that that negative things happen when you've got negative energy. You just kind of tune into that as well. Okay, that also works on a practice level. Or let me just ask: How does pain lead to more pain in our Meditation practice or a spiritual practice. Any thoughts? All the way in the back. Uh, here, Claudia, go on this side. Nope. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Raise your hand. <laughs> and say your name, too. Yeah. I'm Julie. Um, I was thinking about how when something unfavorable arises while you're sitting, or really any time, and um, you start like resisting it a lot or having some aversion towards it, then that just really prolongs the pain. Excellent. Okay. Not fun, but good answer. Yeah. So you don't like what's happening, and then you add what's called the second dart in the Buddha's teachings. The first dart is, this is a drag. The second dart is, I am a lousy meditator for having this experience, or I hate this. This is one thing, okay, this is happening, but I hate this, and how do I get rid of it? And if I were running the universe, I'd be doing a much better job than this, and you just get more and more contracted by your reaction to what's actually here. Very good. Anything else, how it works in in practice? How pain leads to more pain. Well, another way is um, becoming fearful that things won't work out. 
So again, it's having that same attitude of, you know, sometimes people start retreats saying, uh-oh, I just, I think this is going to be a hard retreat. I think my mind is going to get caught in worry. Uh Uh-oh. I'm worried that I'm going to get caught in worry. Oh, I'm really worried now. It is caught in worry. You see, I thought I knew. And we, again, have this self-fulfilling prophecy because we approach things with a fearful attitude. Not that, of course, it's human to have that as part of our makeup, but if you're only focusing on what might go wrong, you're out of the present moment. Fear is always about the future. That's why coming back to the present moment and seeing what's actually happening now is the refuge, particularly if you can allow it to be just for a few moments, oh, this is hard, and this is what's happening now. And if you've learned some tools of how to bring wisdom to the difficult, then that changes the whole, the whole game. Contracted mind will simply lead to more contraction if there's any kind of judgment that it's here. Okay, let's get to the good side of the equation. Okay. The painful now ripening as pleasant. The miracle, let's just listen. Send metta. May you be free of suffering. Okay, the painful now ripening as present, as pleasant. This is what can be called amazing grace. How does that work in our lives? Maybe people who haven't uh, answered yet. How does it? How does this mysterious alchemy happen, where what's painful in our life can lead? to something really beautiful or good or positive. And let's see, do you have it, Julie? Who has the, uh, here's the, here's one up here. here. And again, say your name. I'm Joy, um, and I find that um, a broken heart um, becomes a really open heart. Mm. So that profound pain that you often have no control over allows for a lot of expansion and uh, a lot to come in and also go out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of beauty in those situations. Hmm. Thank you. A broken heart sometimes breaks open to something more profound. As it's often said that suffering deepens our compassion Suffering open, opens us up to a place that we didn't know we had strength or resources in us. Suffering can tenderize the heart and maybe break through the armor and humanize us in, in some very profound way. Thank you to relationship. Yes, all the way over there. Here, uh, Corey, here, raise your, raise your hand. Just as you were talking, I was just thinking of the, you know, the classic story of the Buddha sitting at the Bodhi tree and being attacked by Mara over and over again, and using those experiences. Um, as a way for him to develop his uh, power of mindfulness and awareness so that his mind was able to open. And um, I just think about that a lot and try to use what I struggle with um, 
as a as a uh, as a teacher, and um, notice how often and how easy it is to lose sight of that mm-hmm. and just get lost in the struggle. And the moment I can remember that it's actually a way for me to remember to be mindful, or you know, it's it's something to work with and open up to. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So the story of the Buddha is an archetype of the hero's journey, really. You're familiar with uh, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. All of the, the archetype of heroes and heroines, all of them go on a, a sacred quest. And part of uh, inherent in that awakening is going through deep suffering and hardship and uh, being tempered and galvanized and finding finding capacities for endurance and love and courage and wisdom so you come out the other side. In the teachings, there's a, a list that I've, I've mentioned uh, from time to time called Transcendental Dependent Arising. And it starts out, suffering can be the causative factor for faith. Faith can lead to gladness, and gladness lead to joy, and joy to happiness, contentment, equanimity, and the highest happiness. How many people here have been motivated by suffering to look for answers in their life? Look around. That's how it works. That's what might have gotten you here sitting on a cushion or a chair, sitting quietly and having the courage to to face what's true and open up to it. And as we go through either loss or fear or hardship, we make that journey and become bodhisattvas. That's the bodhisattva path where you use your suffering as an offering, as a gift to everyone around you. A book that I I was deeply affected by in my earlier years uh, is a wonderful thin little book. I liked the fact that it was thin, but it was every sentence in this book Counted, and it's called The Politics of Experience by R.D. Lang, L-A-I-N-G. Anybody ever read it? It's a good one, wasn't it? Wow, I read it. And he, he, he was this amazing, brilliant mind who actually was in and out of mental institutions. And he was one of the most creative, brilliant, uh, psycho... Uh, psychology um, theorists ever. And he said, those who make the journey to the hell realms are the greatest healers because they know if they've gone and they come back, they can be with others in their pain in in a profound way that others can't. So if you're in a lot of suffering... This is something I often share with people. And sometimes I I often see people who are in really difficult, painful periods in their life and looking for answers. I see them and I will sometimes say, if you can get a perspective on this, you are going through part of your bodhisattva training and when you get through with this, you will have something to offer others who are going through their own suffering in a very profound way. That's, what's hap- that's what happened with, with me and many people that I know facing the deepest fears. You just would say, anything but this. I want out. I didn't bargain for this. This is a mistake. But if somewhere in your deep, recesses in your heart, you signed up to be somebody who makes a meaningful contribution to others, 
this might have been part of the curriculum. Maybe you didn't bargain for it, but that's how it works. And you have a gift to offer if you can hang in there and and hold it in that way. In the practice, since it's almost time, I'll just uh, move on. In practice, how the physic, how the the pain leads to pleasure. If you realize, if you see after a while that you can open up to physical pain and mental pain and have the courage to transform it with wise awareness, then you are learning in a very profound way. As the as Suzuki Roshi says in, the, in his Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, those who know the real marrow of Zen are the ones who seem to be the poor meditators and they go through a very deep connection of, of not being afraid of suffering. So learning to open to our dukkha, to our suffering, it deepens our compassion and we learn to not identify with the experience instead of, oh, I'm so pathetic, I'm such a lousy meditator or I can't believe I got stuck again. I'm really learning how to open up to suffering. The suffering is there, but it's our relationship to it that will determine if we're keeping on growing. So don't undervalue when you're going through hard times. And then, finally, that blessed quadrant of good karma, the pleasant now ripening as pleasant later whether you have very fortunate circumstances, sometimes very fortunate circumstances lead to not such good results because we don't have our character hardened. So it's not that I would wish for somebody to be born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Sometimes it can really work against you. But if you are so fortunate to have good circumstances and stay connected to gratitude. Stay connected to all the blessings. And maybe you've gotten enough love that it just comes naturally through you. Well, how wonderful. If you are naturally positive, then that energy will seem to come back to you. And you know, I, many people know, oh, I, I teach awakening joy. Oh, I must been born positive. I was a mess. I was really cynical. I was really pessimistic uh, about life. And I was really motivated to make a difference or to, to, to find a different way. So it's not that it naturally comes. But some people, it is natural where they were born with this temperament that sees the goodness in life, no matter what their external circumstances are. How fortunate, how beautiful, how blessed. Because they don't take it for granted. And in our practice, sometimes that can happen, where maybe concentration comes easy, and you are fortunate enough to feel wholesome states. It's very rare that somebody is continuously just going in the direction of more and more bliss. Even, in, in the, in, even if your trajectory is more and more towards well-being, everybody goes through periods of learning to deal with the hard stuff. But some learn sooner than others that they don't have to identify with their experience. That's, if you can get that early on in your practice where you're not taking it personally and your practice is more or less in a pleasant trajectory, you are very fortunate. The thing to keep in mind, and then we, we have to wrap up, is that whether or not it's painful or pleasant, you can be heading in one direction 
towards more confusion, or you can be heading in another direction towards more awakening. So it doesn't really matter what your circumstances are. If you're in the game to wake up, it's learning to relate to those circumstances either with courage or with gratitude. Everybody has the same possibility of waking up and you just use what you've been given if you've got that commitment to face in the right direction, then life will support you in doing that. So let's just close with a very brief loving kindness. Just feel the blessing in your life that you're actually here wanting to face in the right direction in your life. No matter what the external circumstances. And wish some kind thoughts to you, to yourself. May I feel all the goodness inside and learn to share my love well. May I have courage to open to the difficulties wisely and gratitude to appreciate all the blessings. May I wake up to my true nature and be free of confusion and suffering. And then extending this out from this room to all beings, as I want to be happy, may all find happiness. May all turn their sorrow into compassion, their blessings into gratitude, and awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here be for the benefit of ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Thank you very much. See you in a while, the end, the end of October. Please come and check out those speakers. And uh, when you leave, it would really be helpful if you, as a meditation, stack the uh, cushions and the uh, zabutans and the chairs very mindfully. Thanks. <laughs>